Do you feel like your life is spinning out of control? Today, we talk to J.D. Roth about how you can take back control of your life. Welcome to Adulting, the podcast where we want to adult every day. Download episodes at adulting.tv. Welcome to Adulting. I am Harlan Landis, and I am here, as usual, with Miranda Marquit. How are you doing, Miranda? I am doing well. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great, and I'm excited you to... You guys sound like robots. <laughs> you think so? I am fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't know. All right. <laughs> no, I, th- but, I think you should go with that. But here with us today is J.D. Roth, <laughs> who is not a robot. He's a real person. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, JD. Hello. How are you guys? You're actually two of my favorite people, and I know you're not robots. <laughs> we really are real people. Uh, I, I hope I'm not a robot. I guess uh, the we'll we'll see. The jury's out. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about control <laughs> and robotic control, perhaps. Yeah, you'll have to talk to my programmer because I, you know, I just do what I'm programmed to do. I hear she lives in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, joining us today is J.D. Roth. He is the founder of Money Boss. Welcome to the show today, J.D. Hello, Miranda. Hello, Harlan. It's very good to be here. This is going to be a great topic. We're talking about the control that we have in our lives. I'm going to get to J.D.'s story in a little bit, but I have an interesting story. I used to work for uh, an organization, and I had a boss who believed that everything we did in life, every everything that happened to us, was within our control. And I was I was younger, and I didn't quite accept that, especially to the extreme that he would go with this. And I don't know. I mean, you know, the the idea was this: okay, so if you're late to the office, that's your fault. Right. Okay. Sure. You know, perhaps I left on time. I could have left earlier uh, because I could have anticipated that there was going to be an accident on the highway that was going to back up traffic for two hours. But I didn't anticipate that. So, yes, it was a choice I made to leave early, but not early enough to arrive at the office on time. So, yes, you're right. It's my fault if you want to blame me for that. It's your fault if you oversleep because you made a choice at some point to just continue sleeping instead of waking up. All right. Uh, you know, there, there, there are certain things, certain, you can go to a certain point with this, I think. And there are certainly a lot of things in our life that are within our control. And it's probably a lot more than we think. And it kind of took that attitude from that boss for me to eventually understand that, though I still don't agree with how extreme he goes with it. But that is something that, you know, I came to accept in my life. And I know that taking control, especially from a financial perspective, was so important to me that I started a website about that. But I I want to talk to JD now because he also feels very strongly about the things that we can control and what we can't control. So I'd I'd love to hear a little bit about about something that that happened in JD's life that kind of uh, inspired that. So is there a story you can share? Well, it's not so much a story as it is a history. So in my case... I was like the opposite of your former boss. I was uh, somebody who, for the most part, felt like life was outside his control. I hadn't always been like that. But after I graduated from college, got married, 
uh, moved into a house, got a job. I felt like nothing went my way. I, I felt like uh, I ended up in the job I had just kind of out of default because there was nothing better. I mean, I felt like life wasn't giving me what I deserved. Basically, I had gone to college, got a psychology degree, thought about going into teaching. I thought I might be a grade school teacher. And then I thought maybe I would go into like residence life for a college, like be be in charge of the uh, student living and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but I never really did anything to make that happen. I guess I just sort of expected it to happen. I'm, I'm not sure what my thought process was at the time. That's 25 years ago now, right? And so I ended up going to work for my father, which is something that I had sworn I would never do. I ended up becoming this box salesman. I, I sold corrugated packaging door to door to businesses around Portland. I just felt like as time went on, more and more of my dreams were just crumbling around me. And I know that's not unique to me. I know a lot of other people go through this uh, when they get out of college or they get out of high school. Their, their first decade on their own, life isn't what they thought it would be for them. And it certainly was not for me. I, I remember sitting down and uh, writing a blog entry about, uh, I think I called it the man I want to be. And I, I was just basically bemoaning my lot in life about how I was deep in debt and I was fat and I never had time to do what I wanted to do and I hated my job. And I just felt like all these things had happened to me. Nothing ever went my way. So I was kind of at the opposite end of where your boss was, where your boss felt like, oh, you're kind of in control of everything. I felt like I was out of control of everything. But I have to say in time, I came to understand, and it didn't happen overnight, this understanding, but I, I came to understand that I was in a, in a lot more control of my situation than I believed I was. Uh, I was just allowing life to happen to me. And if you just allow life to happen to you, then you're going to get uh, whatever life happens to dish up. And sometimes that might be good, but a lot of times it's just going to be indifferent. It's neither good nor bad, uh, and it's not going to be what you want. And so it wasn't until I decided that I was going to try uh, to be more proactive, to take charge uh, of the direction my life was going, that things got better for me. Yeah, I definitely like what you're saying about the idea that if you don't take action, things are going to just fill in the spaces around you. And whatever, whatever if you're not acting on the things that you desire then other people's desires are going to be what fills your life. A absolutely. And, and it's, it's not just other people. I mean, it's like society as a whole in some ways will end up controlling your direction. So, so there's this metaphor that I use a lot when I'm writing about personal finance. Uh, I write about, I say, uh, the economy as a whole is like a river and it's flowing in a particular direction. If you just kind of get out in the middle of the river, and each of us, each of our personal economies is like a boat on that river. And if you get your personal economy out in the middle of the river and you don't do anything, the larger economy is going to push you along in whatever direction it's going. And you might crash into some rocks or some trees or you might get stuck on the shore. But I believe that financially and in our other aspects of our lives, we have the ability to change our direction. So our ship might have sails or a motor or whatever you want to use in the metaphor. We have the ability that if we don't like the way we're headed, we can head upstream instead of downstream and we can dodge the rocks. But it takes us deciding that we are going to captain the ship or, or pilot the boat 
to avoid these obstacles and to go the direction we want to go. So this sounds really cool and great. And to a large uh, extent, I agree with this idea of, you know, changing the direction in your life and being able to take control of your circumstances. But how do you get to that point? Because there are some, there are some things that you can't control. Like, uh, I can't control breaking my wrist. There is no way that I could control that or see that it's coming or stop that from happening. You know, I steering my boat around the rock of breaking my wrist wasn't going to happen. What are some of the things that you can control then when you get into that situation. And, and, you know, there are other things like that where, um, maybe you suddenly get fired from a job or, you know, your, your life partner dies or your, or your child ends up with leukemia. I mean, those are things that, you know, it'd it'd be nice to say, oh, well, you can control that in your life. Well, you can't. And so what, what do you do when you end up in these situations where, yeah, these things are spinning out of control? Uh, what are some things that you can do to handle that? I think you're absolutely right, Miranda, that you can't control everything. And I don't want to try to convey the idea that you can. So like when Harlan's boss is telling him that, oh, you should have been on time, even though there was an accident that delayed traffic for two hours. I don't agree with that. You you can't control everything, but you can try to set yourself up for success. That's absolutely true. But bad things are going to happen. Bad things happen to everybody, right? So we can't control when bad things are going to happen or what bad things are going to happen. Uh, We can reduce their likelihood, perhaps, by taking some proactive steps. But what we do have control over is how we react to the things that happen to us. We get to choose our response. Like when you break your wrist, did, did you actually break your wrist? Yeah, it shattered and okay. well, not shattered. I didn't yeah, know no, whether no. I didn't know whether it was a hypothetical <laughs> example or. No, I haven't played in eight screws, <laughs> and oh, I came wow. through it okay. I mean, I was, you know, I'm in a good financial position. I'm I'm a reasonably uh, optimistic and positive person most of the time. Well, I'm a cynical optimist, <laughs> so <laughs> so I have that weird I have that weird dynamic going. But so I mean, my healing and my physical therapy situation went well because of you know I'm right. determined to move forward and and control what I could control, but it was a definite setback. Yeah. Well, but you get to choose your response to that. I mean, some people, uh, if they were to break their wrist, their response is is to uh, blow their top, right? I'm thinking of an example. This just popped into my head. I was in New York recently. I was crossing the road. And you know, in New York, people have a tendency to just cross the road if they think uh, nobody's coming. I was waiting at the curb and there was a family in front of me. And The youngest daughter, she was maybe eight, nine years old, she started to cross the road and there was a taxi coming and her father freaked out. He grabbed her by the arm and yanked her back and yelled, Miranda, what are you doing? You should know better than that. And he just created this huge scene that mortified the entire family, shocked the girl who burst into tears. And I was thinking, you know, I get that the father was upset, but he had a choice on how he was going to react there. And he chose to take it to this place where it made it a negative experience for everybody, including the strangers around him, instead of doing something that could have been positive and constructive. And I think this is an important thing to to understand that we get to choose how we respond to the events that happen to us in life. Even when something crappy happens to us, we can choose if our response is also going to be crappy or whether we're going to find some way to make the most of that situation, I guess, find some meaning in it. Yeah. And this is a natural topic for adulting because as we are growing up and as children, right, 
a lot of decisions, a lot of our life is decided for us. Absolutely. So you just get into that mode and it's so easy to just stay in that mode. Even when you move out and you go to college, you graduate from college, you're still in this, even in college, a lot of decisions are made for you uh, by the system. And even when you're working in a corporation, a lot of decisions are made for you uh, by the system. And just getting out of that habit and making this breakthrough. I mean, that's, this is all a process, um, moving from a point in your life where everything is decided for you to a point where you finally have this full control of everything that you do. And of course, like you're saying, not everything that happens to you, but certainly how you react to everything that happens to you. Right. And I think this gets to this, uh, idea uh, that's been popular in psychology for, I don't know, 60, 70 years now. There, there's this uh, guy, I don't remember his name, but it was in the 1950s. He came up with this idea of uh, this, this, how people develop personalities. And he's talking about uh, proactive personalities and reactive personalities. Or his theory was that uh, proactive people recognize that they're responsible for how they react to the things that go on around them. Uh, they might not be able to control everything that happens to them, but when things do happen to them, their uh, their response is their responsibility, I guess. And so they don't blame circumstances and, and outside conditions for their situation. They say, okay, this has happened. It's up to me uh, to choose how I'm going to respond. And he says, these people have an internal locus of control. Uh, they believe that the quality of their life is, is primarily determined by their own choices and actions. What he said in his theory is that these people tend to be happier than people who are reactive, who have an external locus of control. And so reactive people believe that their condition, their situation, uh, their life circumstances are, are a product of everything that happens around them and to them. So their moods are based on the moods of other people or on the things that happen to them during the day. And I think we all know people like this, uh, that something, maybe uh, somebody cuts them off on the way to work. And so they get to work and they're in a bad mood. And that bad mood just carries throughout the day, all because of one thing that happened to them. I remember my, my girlfriend, who she has an internal locus of control. She's very proactive. She's very forgiving. I remember when we first started dating, for some reason, I got upset at another driver. And I, I don't get upset very often at other drivers, but I did in this case. And she called me out on it. And she said, you know, JD, I know that person just cut you off and, and you feel you're cranky about it. But you ever stop to think that, you know, maybe their son was just in an accident and they're on the way to the hospital or something. You might want to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I thought that was an interesting approach. That That's just a different way to interpret the action. Instead of them being a jerk to me, it's like, oh, maybe there's something going on in that person's life, and I can just kind of chill out. So anyway, the, the psychological theory that I brought up here is that there's two ways to approach life. You can be proactive, focus on the things that are within your realm of control, or you can be reactive and spend your time worrying about the things that are beyond your control and feel as if uh, life happens to you. 
And I kind of like that idea of focusing on what you can control and working on improving that because, as you point out, there are lots of things in life that you're not going to be able to control. You can't control others' behaviors and you can't control the random things that just sort of happen. And so I like this idea of being able to say, well, how am I going to react to this and do I let go of the things that I, you know, there are some things that happen to us that we maybe have to work through before we can let them go. But being able to say, okay, I need to let go of this thing that I can't control and stop obsessing about it and move forward the best I can, I think makes a lot of sense. And in my own life, I got to been able to see how this has actually played out. So I used to be the kind of person who was reactive. I felt as if life was happening to me, like I said earlier. And I also, I was really worried about like elections. I was worried about politics. I paid a lot of attention to uh, the news and the bad things that were happening in the world. I worried about what other people thought of me. It, it just, everything I did was basically to try to please other people. And the reality is you can't please everybody. In fact, it's very hard to please most people. And if you're living your life in a way that where you're trying to please other people, you're just not going to make yourself happy. And if you're spending your time concerned about politics or the state of the world, you're going to be perpetually unhappy because there's very little you can do to change things on a global level. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't get involved. I, I know, Miranda, you're involved in uh, I was just uh, going to say, don't, don't knock. Well, well, here's the thing, though. I, but you talked about this global level, and this is why I'm so passionate about local politics. And, Absolutely. And, Digging into your community, because like you said, I mean, especially with the, the election that just we're, we're just getting over right now, there's a lot that people feel out of control about, and, but you can go in your local community or your neighborhood and, and make change there. And I like, your, you know, if, if you're going to say, oh, I got to change the world, then you're just going to be a sad person all the time. Right. I, I think if you start turning your focus inward. If your focus has been outward and you turn it inward and focus on improving yourself, I found that there's a lot of joy to be gained by uh, improving yourself. And then there's a, like a, I don't want to call it a domino effect, but once you've improved yourself, it starts spreading outward. You start spreading it to the people around you and helping them improve their lives, not in a busybody kind of way, but just in uh, uh, sharing what you know when they ask, rather than being like evangelical, you just respond when they say, hey, you know, you've lost a bunch of weight. How'd you do it? Or why are you driving a, driving a 20-year-old car? And you can say, well, I'm trying to save money because I want to travel and so on. For me, in my life, I've really experienced that I'm a much happier person today than I was 15 or 20 years ago when I was uh, uh, allowing myself to feel hopeless and uh, as if life were controlling me instead of me controlling life. Going back to what you said about how improving yourself can be, you know, it leads other people to improve themselves too, as they ask you, oh, you, you know, you look great. What, what's going on? And then you talk about it. And, and it's not, not only just that, but just having a positive attitude is infectious. And when you are able to project that sort of thing, even without people knowing it, subconsciously, they also 
become uh, more positive. So it's it's a, it's a good way to, and all that comes from controlling how you react to situations. As 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 people see you and you are involved with other people in your life, and they see how you react to certain situations, it just it it it's a, there's an amplification effect where it just grows and spreads. And um, and if everybody kind of did this for themselves, then we talk about making the world a better place and, you know, just focus on yourself instead. Well, if everybody focuses on on themselves to make them better, then the world automatically becomes a better place, right? Yeah. At least that's the ideal, right? For me, I think about how when I was younger, I used to really, really worry about what other people thought of me. And because I was worried about what other people were thinking, I was always trying to be somebody other than who I really was. It just made it so I was never really happy with myself. I never felt quite myself, I guess. Uh, I felt like I was always uh, playing a role. I remember I talked once with my uh, best friend, and he told me that he feels like he puts on masks no matter what situation he's in. He's put it on a mask. And, and at the time, I poo-pooed that idea. And then I realized, you know, I, I, I was doing that too. It was only once I got to be in my late 30s or early 40s that I realized I need to stop trying to please other people. I need to do, I need to live a life that's true to myself, which sounds really new agey and touchy feely and like it's bullshit, but it's not. It's a, if you're not living a life true to yourself and your own values and your own goals and your own purpose, I feel like you're going to be unhappy on some level. Yeah, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And and I can really relate to that because I did spend a large portion of my life uh, up until a few years ago uh, trying to follow this prescribed path that was laid out for me, the things that I was supposed to do. I've got my air quote hand, fingers going here, supposed <laughs> to do. And feeling like uh, it wasn't quite what I was supposed to do and I wasn't happy with it and trying to figure out what was wrong with me because I wasn't happy following this prescribed path that I was on and it didn't fulfill me. I didn't feel happy about it. And I was like, well, what's wrong with me? And then people are like, oh, don't worry about it. In the end, it'll all work out and you'll feel good in the end. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? That I'm miserable for 70 years on this earth and then something that I suddenly feel great later? I mean, that that, that can't be right. And so I think uh, I really like this idea of, of st- you know, stopping doing what other people tell you you're supposed to do and figure out. Uh, where that comes from for you and what what your journey means for you. And and so, Miranda, do you feel like you've made a change then toward living a life that's truer to who you are? Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Definitely. I am off. off, I've gone off the rails of my prescribed path. I am so off that path that (laughs) that my parents parents are very unhappy with me right now. But at the same time, I mean, they're still, I mean, they're still, they're still part of my life and they're still not going to do anything to alienate, alienate me completely because they understand, you know, that they want to see their grandson. You know, there's that aspect, but, you know, I still get you know, I still get a little bit of static because people are like, well, this is what you're, you know, you're, you've gone off what you know you're supposed to be doing. I'm like, no, actually, I feel more peaceful now than I ever did before. Yeah, that's great. And, and I think that's a, that's an important thing. There's another book I like. We were talking about it briefly before we started recording. Uh, the book is called How People Change, and it's by a guy named Alan Wheelis. And in it, he talks about how you have freedom to the degree 
that you're willing to accept conflict in your life. And that sounds maybe a little esoteric, but what he's saying is you have the ability to do whatever you want as long as you're willing to accept the responsibilities for it. So in your case, it sounds like you're doing some things that uh, maybe your parents don't approve of, but you still have the freedom to choose those things as long as you're willing to accept the fact that your parents are going to get cranky. And I think that... and I think that's the choice you should make. I mean, they're your parents and you love them and you don't want them to be unhappy, but it's your life and you don't need to be trying to live uh, the life that they want you to have. You need to be doing what you think is true for you. Right. And I think part of that too is, you know, eventually when my son grows up and does his thing, I will, you know, need to make sure that I let go enough to say, you know, you need to follow your own path. And I think I personally think I'll be able to do that um, because I'm not wrapped up in a lot of these other things. But I think part of that is finally letting go. And and I know somebody else who is kind of uh, feels the same way that I used to feel and is in that same place I was. Uh, but, you know, this person is not ready to, they're, they're scared to death of what their parents will think, making their parents unhappy and all mm-hmm. of that. And so they feel very paralyzed in where they're at. And that's you know, kind of, kind of like they, they don't have that same control because they're so busy trying to make sure that they put on this image of being happy with what they're supposed to be doing, even though they're not, so that their parents don't worry about them and henpeck them and that kind of thing. And so it's, and I look at that as like, wow, you know, and I can kind of relate to that to a certain degree because I was there too once where I was like, well, I don't want my parents to find out about this. It'll worry them. I need to make sure they're still happy. And you get to the point where you're finally like, wait a minute, am I living my life for other people or am I trying to create a situation where, you know, I am creating my own life? Right. So I think a lot of this comes into play when you have a situation where you feel trapped, like you don't have a choice, like something there, there, there's enough pressure preventing you from making the choice that perhaps you want to make, or, or even if you don't know that you know, what it is that you want to make. So how can we get to the point from feeling where from this initial position where we're feeling trapped as if the consequences are too difficult to bear, perhaps, or we don't know what the consequences are, so we're afraid to make a decision that moves us in the direction we want to go. How do we get to that point where we can actually seize control? That's a good question, and I don't know if I have a a blanket answer. I mean, I I can tell you how I moved from uh, where I was to where I am today. I used to be afraid. I was afraid of what other people would think of me, I was afraid to try new things because I was afraid of what the consequences might be. Uh, I basically just lived a life filled with fear. I, was, I didn't do much. I dreamed about traveling the world, but I, I, didn't, I didn't go anywhere, on and on and on. And then I was reading a book completely unrelated to anything. I was reading a book about improvisational theater. Uh, the book is called Impro by Keith Johnstone. Mm-hmm. And I don't, ha- I don't have it in front of me, but in the book, He's talking about how uh, in improvisational theater, actors have to respond to each other. And in order to keep a scene flowing and entertaining on stage, if one actor in the improvisational scene says, hey, we're going to the beach, the other actor has to accept that idea, or he calls it an offer. He has to accept the offer and then build upon that. And the actors work together to build upon the various offers to create the story and to keep the scene going. But if, it, if one actor or actress puts up a block and says, no, we're not going to the beach, I don't feel like it, 
Well, that just brings the scene to this grinding halt and nothing happens. What he said in the book, just as a kind of a passing comment, is he says, everybody in life constantly accepts and blocks offers, and the degree to which they enjoy life is related to how many offers they accept. And again, I don't have the quote exactly right, but that's the idea he's trying to convey. This had a profound impact on me. This was uh, back in 2007, so 10 years ago. I, I realized that I was constantly blocking offers. I would have friends invite me to go out to a bar, for example, to go have some drinks. And I would say, no, no, I'm not going to, because I, I, I had never been to a bar. I had this idea that bars were seedy places. I didn't want to, I didn't want to go to one. At the time I was building a blog and I would have readers invite me out. They'd say, hey, JD, I'm in town. Do you want to go for lunch or dinner? I'd say, no, 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 no. I was afraid of what they might think of me. I was afraid they'd meet me and think I was some kind of jerk. Or worse, maybe they were an axe murderer or something. So I was just rejecting these opportunities as they came along. The biggest one I ever rejected, the one that I regret the most, is the best friend I mentioned earlier, the guy who talked about his theory of masks. Back in 1997, I think it was, he wanted to take a trip around the world. And he asked me if I wanted to go along with him, and I told him no. And at the time, it was because I didn't have enough money, but it was also because I just, a trip around the world, man, that seemed like... Eh. It seems scary is what it seemed like. It turned out my friend passed away, and uh, I, I never got that chance to go on a tr trip around the world with him, and I really regret that. So after reading this book and, and recognizing that I was blocking all these opportunities, I decided I'm going to start saying yes to things. When readers contact me and want to take me out to dinner, I'm going to say yes to that opportunity. If uh, somebody asks me to go on a trip, I'm going to say yes to that. As long as it doesn't violate my own moral and ethical standards and it's not against the law, then I'm going to say yes when people uh, offer me opportunities. And as a result, I got to try a bunch of different things. Didn't like everything I tried, but I liked many of the things that I tried. And as I tried these different things, I gained confidence. Uh, an example I use is somebody asked me if I wanted to go skydiving. I was deathly afraid of heights. There's no way in hell I wanted to go skydiving. But I remembered that I had uh, developed this policy of saying yes to things, to, to accept opportunities instead of blocking them. So I said, okay, I'm going to go skydiving. And I jumped out of the plane, and sure enough, scared me to death as I was sitting there at the edge of the plane, even after the initial jump. But about five or ten seconds into it, I guess as soon as the parachute was deployed, I was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm so glad I did it. It gave me a lot of confidence. That act and then other acts like that gave me a lot of confidence to make changes in my life and to accept opportunities that came along and to uh, uh, make changes and not care what other people thought of me, to do things that I wanted to do instead of just doing what I thought other people should do. And uh, some of these changes were hard. As uh, many people who've read me a long time know, uh, I got a divorce about five years ago. And that was probably the uh, hardest thing I've ever had to do. But asking for that divorce was a very important step for me because it was uh, me trying to take direction of my life and doing what I needed so that I could be happy. I hoped it would bring happiness to uh, my wife, now my ex-wife, in the long term. And I think that for both of us it has. But that's the kind of courage that I had to get. And I could only develop by saying yes to smaller things and gradually working up my um, confidence and courage to take on bigger things. 
when you brought up your relationship, it actually uh, it, it opens up other questions as well, because as you go ahead and you do say yes to things, when you're in a committed relationship, you do have to still consider the wants and needs of your partner as well. So for you, has that ever caused any conflict? Um, or, you know, do you, I, I know you and Kim and you both seem to me to be independent people for the most part, but you are also a couple. So you have to keep each other's thoughts in mind as well. Yeah. And that's a great question, Harlan. And I think about this often, actually, because there are people that will tell you that all relations all relationships are inherently about compromise. I think there's a lot to that, that uh, relationships, friendships and romantic relationships do require some compromise. But I think to the degree that you can enter into a relationship that doesn't require compromise, you're going to be happier, both you and your partner. So in the case of uh, my girlfriend, Kim, we do have to do some compromising about some things. I'm a little bit of a slob, so I compromise by uh, making my best effort to be clean. I, I like a little more attention than uh, she needs, so she makes compromise by uh, uh, spending more time with me than she, she, she'd be perfectly happy being alone a little bit more. But we make these compromises, but we've also chosen each other because so much of our lives and our philosophies do overlap and do intertwine. If you draw a Venn diagram that has JD on one side and Kim on the other, there's so much overlap. And I think that's what, uh, as adults, we should be looking for in relationships. It's great to hold on to childhood relationships. I'm still friends with many of my friends from my childhood. But as you choose new friends in the future, try to find friends who you don't have to make many compromises for. Pick people that are going to be aligned with your values, what your life goals are, and they're going to support you and you can support them, I guess. Yeah, on a different note, I know that one of the reasons that I enjoyed spending eight hours a night working for myself after eight hours a day working for someone else was that it, it did give me some control of my situation that was a little lacking in the office. The, the thing that surprised me, though, is that you still, when you're working for yourself, have to adjust and react and deal with situations that are given to you. I mean, there's it's, it's almost an illusion of control because you're still responding and you still have, whether it's not bosses that you have, if you're working for yourself, it's clients and clients have needs and you have to respond to that. Has Have, have you encountered anything, you know, likewise in terms of control since you've been working for yourself and, and moved on from working in the box factory and any other jobs that you've had? Yeah, that's actually a fascinating question because I have experienced stuff like that. In some ways, it's almost easier to work for somebody else because they do have the control. I guess it takes the burden off your shoulders. They're the ones making the decision. So you just kind of fit in the box that you're given and you do the best you can in that box. When you work for yourself, Sure, you've got freedom and all of a sudden nobody else is controlling you. But like you say, uh, your clients or your customers can be controlling. But more than that, when you have that freedom, all of a sudden you have uh, a lot of responsibility too, right? Uh, you're the one responsible for uh, generating the income and, and marketing the business. It, it can be a challenging thing. So 
Uh, a lot of the time, though, when we say we're working for ourselves, it depends on what we're doing. As a freelancer, even though I can choose my clients to a certain degree and, and not work for somebody if I don't want to, uh, there is a degree of, oh, well, geez, now I have like several bosses instead of just one boss. And so there is that kind of issue as well. Or if you are uh, owning your own business, then maybe your customers are, are kind of your boss. It always feels like I think you have to appease somebody, whether it's your readers, whether it's your listeners, uh, or whether it's your clients. You, know, you, you do have to kind of work toward uh, helping them or providing them something of value if you want them to keep coming back. So I think to a certain degree, you're, you're not always completely always able to exist in your own little bubble. Yeah, I think you're right. And listening to all three of us talk about this, it makes me realize something that, uh, uh, or it makes me remember something that I, I realized once I became financially independent. So for, for those who don't know, I, I built a blog, I was able to sell it. And by selling that blog, I was able to achieve uh, what I call financial independence, basically meaning as long as I keep my lifestyle modest for the uh, rest of my life, I, I don't have to earn an income. I, I can't go jetting around the world or anything like that, but I can live comfortably here in Portland and have a nice, modest life. A lot of people think that, oh, it, when you have that kind of fortunate experience, say you win the lottery or, or you sell a business like I did, well, all of a sudden that's going to solve all of your problems. You're All of a sudden you're wealthy, and so if you were overweight, all of a sudden you can buy your way out of it. Or if you had unhappy relationships, you'll be able to fix those too, all because of money, financial freedom. But what I realized when I achieve financial freedom is the money does not automatically solve the problems. Yes, I had more freedom regarding what my choices were in life, but in order to solve the problems, I had to solve the problems. I had to fix the relationships. Uh, if I was 50, over, 50 pounds overweight, I had to lose that 50 pounds myself. Nobody else was going to lose it for me. All of a sudden, I had the free time, uh, and whereas I had always been able to use the lack of time as an excuse... I could no longer do that. And ultimately, I had to accept the fact that it was my responsibility to lose the weight. It was my responsibility to fix the relationships. And not only that, it had always been my responsibility. Even back when I thought I did not have the time, even then, it was my responsibility to lose the 50 pounds or to fix the relationships. And I just hadn't done it. And it was kind of a... Shock is a strong word, but it was a unsettling realization to uh, uh, see that uh, I needed to fix things myself and I had always needed to fix things myself. Yeah, my, my story in terms of financial independence is interesting as well, um, but slightly different. I, and for me, we talk about choice. It, I, I find myself now uh, with many choices and uh, trying to take advantage of as many of the things that I find personally fulfilling as possible. And there are a lot of things and, and it's keeping me busy and perhaps busier than I should be because there are still things, you know, maybe third and fourth on the list. I mean, things move up and down in terms of priority, but there are still things that I'd like to do. And I thought that, oh, I'd have time. I'd have the money. I'd be able to 
finally do even more of these things that I'd like to do, but yet I still find myself kind of in this position where I'm focusing on, you know, just a certain number of things that are still preventing me from, say, going traveling as much as I'd like. And it's not that that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just that I'm, I'm still making, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm always choosing things that fulfill me, but it's still a lot of work. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And and once we get all of the, all of these choices, then it becomes important to have to prioritize what we're doing. And that's, that's actually something I am working on right now with my own life. Uh, But speaking of prioritizing and figuring out where you want to go next, let's talk to JD real quick about where you can find him online so that our listeners can prioritize his website. Well, and before I do that, I'm going to mention one last thing because you just reminded me of it, Miranda. (laughs) So uh, I think that for anybody, uh, one of the most valuable exercises you can do is sit down and take 10, 15 20 minutes or even an hour or two would be better and figure out what is it that you want to accomplish in life. And I don't mean this in a touchy feely way, a new agey way. I, I mean this seriously. What is your ultimate goal? What is your purpose in life? And you can find uh, exercises on how to do this and all sorts of books and uh, uh, online, but take, take some time to create what I call a personal mission statement. And if you will do that, that can help guide your choices, make you a uh, better able to create a life that is more fulfilling, uh, makes you happier, I guess. And one of those exercises, here, I'll tie it back to introducing myself to your readers or telling your, or your listeners where they can find me. Speaking of that, uh, if you go to moneyboss.com, which is uh, my website, uh, I do have uh, a couple of exercises there that walk you through how to create a personal mission statement and why you might want to create a personal mission statement. Uh, And I I talk there not only about mastering uh, your money, uh, but also mastering your life. My goal is to try to get people to focus on uh, how they can take responsibility and say, I'm going to be the one in charge of my life, both financially, well, financially and in every other aspect. And that's moneyboss.com? Moneyboss.com. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, JD. Thank you. Uh, Make sure you check us out at adulting.tv. You'll have access to show notes, all of our episodes, and very helpful articles and other resources that can help you be a better adult and also take control of your life. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, adulting.tv slash iTunes. Leave us a review, leave us some comments, and make sure you ask us your questions because we like to try and answer questions in our podcasts and on our website. And don't forget to join us in our adulting community where you can hang out with us every single day. Um, And until then, uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Adulting. Find resources for this episode or download other episodes at adulting.tv.